Dermatology Snapshots, May 2022. Paper 1. The Association of Spironolactone Use with Risk of Cancer. A Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. Boma Reddy et al., JAMA Dermatology. Why we chose this paper. Off-licence use of spironolactone in acne, androgenetic alopecia and hydradenitis is increasing, but the FDA and BNF warn against tumorogenicity based on animal study data, where doses are 150 times higher. Study aim and design. A retrospective systematic review and meta-analysis of data until 2021 looking at adults treated with spironolactone for any reason. What were the main findings? Seven included studies, encompassing approximately 4.5 million people, showed no significant association between spironolactone and breast cancer, odds ratio 1.04, and the same conclusion for ovarian, bladder, kidney, gastric and esophageal cancer. There was a reduced risk of prostate cancer, odds ratio 0.79, which makes sense, as it's an androgen-sensitive tumour. Limitations, is it applicable? Individuals in these studies are likely to have been older, mean age 62 to 72 years, with a lower proportion of women, 17 to 54%, than we'd expect in the dermatology cohort on spironolactone. Also, the authors rated the certainty of evidence as very low. Duration of follow-up in some studies was insufficient, e.g. three months to two years. What is the take-home message? Real-world human data in large numbers of patients treated with spironolactone is reassuring with respect to cancer risk, but more studies will be needed. Paper 2. British Association Dermatologist's Guide for the Management of People with Chronic Urticaria 2021. Sabro et al. British Journal of Dermatology. What's the recommended treatment ladder? 1. Second generation antihistamines, e.g. fexofenadine, cetirizine, loritidine. 2. Uptriterate to four times the licensed dose. 3. Consider switching second generation antihistamine. 4. Add Montelukast. 5. Omeluzumab or Cyclosporin. What's out? H2 antihistamines, e.g. ranitidine, aren't recommended unless there are symptoms of dyspepsia. Other important points. Don't forget there's been a recent MHRA warning and BMJ publication highlighting the neuropsychiatric side effects of Montelukast in a minority of patients, particularly children. Consider measurement of IgE. High levels may indicate higher probability of response to omeluzumab and normal levels may indicate responsiveness to cyclosporin. Also, consider testing basophil histamine release assay. A positive level may indicate higher chance of responding to cyclosporin and a negative level may indicate higher chance of responding to omeluzumab. Paper 3. Focus on oral minoxidil for androgenetic alopecia and alopecia areata. Yin et al. Dermatology and Venereology. A. Musa. 
Clinical Experimental Dermatology. The evidence in favour of low-dose oral noxtal for androgenetic alopecia has been growing. Lynn et al. have added to this with a retrospective review of 60 patients treated between 2016 to 2019 who received 0.625 to 5 mg daily alongside standard care using quantitative foliscope assessments. This showed a significant increase of 13.9 hairs per centimetre squared. Hair shaft diameter readings also increased. Subgroup analysis of 31 patients whose only androgenic alopecia medication change was low-dose oral minoxidil also had increased density, 9.4 hairs per centimetre squared. 40% reported adverse effects such as hypertrichosis, legedema, especially in older patients over 60. Also this month, Mirsa et al.'s report adds to the data on the benefit in alopecia areata. Studies have indicated minoxidil may initiate and accelerate regrowth in alopecia areata. Here, remission maintenance following first alopecia areata episode using only oral minoxidil 0.25 to 2.5 milligrams was assessed in 24 patients for 0.5 to 10 years. 25% reported hypertrichosis. Only 17% relapsed over the 10-year study period, compared to 54% predicted based on other studies. Our take. We'd like to see larger, prospective, randomised control studies. But given the favourable side effect profile of low-dose minoxidil, we suspect that many dermatologists are already prescribing this off-licence for antigenetic alopecia. What's the take-home message? Oral minoxidil at low doses appears to be well-tolerated, safe and showing some benefit for both androgenetic, androgenetic alopecia and alopecia areata. Given limited therapeutic options, low-dose oral minoxidil is likely to be increasingly used. Paper 4. Evidence check. How long to leave between stopping tetracyclines and starting isotretinoin? Caruana et al., British Journal of Dermatology. In practice, there appear to be a variety of washout periods used, varying between two months to two days. There's very little published on the subject, bearing in mind that intracranial hypertension is exceedingly rare. However, we found this interesting survey study. Most dermatologists recommended two weeks, 48%. Almost a third suggested seven days as a washout period, and the remainder suggested five days to nothing. The authors report the half-life of doxycycline is around 3.5 to 7 days. Therefore, a seven-day washout period for tetracyclines will usually be sufficient. Our thoughts... We feel that lengthy washout periods may result in unnecessary flare and acne, and we suggest seven days as standard. Paper 5. Monkeypox goes global. Why scientists are on alert. Kozlov, Nature. At the time of writing, there are 57 confirmed new cases in the UK. Previously seldom seen outside Africa, Kozlov highlights the salient features of this disease. 
we are reassured that it is no severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2. It is not as transmissible and vaccines and treatments are already available. Spread by close skin-to-skin contact or body fluid contact, this zoonotic infection isn't known to have asymptomatic contacts and seems to be particularly prevalent in men who have sex with men within this outbreak, despite not being sexually transmitted. Symptoms including fever, headache, myalgia, backache, lymphadenopathy and exhaustion precede a cephalocaudal vesicular eruption by one to five days. Containment strategies include ring vaccination to contain the spread of the virus. This involves vaccinating the close contacts of people who've been infected with monkeypox to cut off any routes of transmission. Paper 6. Birth outcomes in women who've taken hydroxychloroquine during pregnancy. A prospective cohort study, Dr George Sismi, Chambers et al., Arthritis and Rheumatology. Why we chose this paper. Although hydroxychloroquine is felt to be safe during pregnancy, recent concerns have been raised. Study aim and design. A prospective cohort study was conducted comparing pregnant connective tissue patients treated with hydroxychloroquine with disease-matched controls and a second control group of healthy women. What were the main findings? 837 patients were included. When compared with disease-matched controls, there was no increased risk for major structural birth defects in live births. Defects occurred in 20 8.6% of 232 women with hydroxychloroquine exposure versus 19, 7.4% of the 256 diseased matched controls and 13, 5.4% of 239 healthy controls. There was no increased risk of abortion or preterm delivery. Limitations. Is it applicable? Authors had associations with pharmaceutical companies, companies which also helped recruit for the study. The populations studied were generally high socio-economic status and white, limiting generalizability, and most had rheumatoid arthritis. What's the take-home message? This study found no evidence for increased risk of major structural birth defects attributable to hydroxychloroquine with prenatal exposure. This supports the advice in the BNF that it is not necessary to withdraw hydroxychloroquine if disease is well controlled in pregnancy. Paper 7. Dermatological guidelines for monitoring methotrexate treatment reduce drug survival compared to rheumatological guidelines. Busger op Wallenbrook, PLOS 1. Why we chose this paper? Methotrexate continues to be widely used for a variety of skin conditions. We read this paper with great interest in anticipation of the BAD methotrexate guidelines update expected soon. The authors ask a very relevant question. What is optimal screening and monitoring for methotrexate? Does stricter monitoring do more harm than good? Study aim and design. The authors aim to determine whether the dermatology monitoring approach, 
every two weeks, then every two to three months, and then procollagen levels every three months, appropriately improves safety or results in false signals, which may result in withdrawal of an effective treatment. They compared with rheumatology monitoring, which is only done monthly initially, and then every three to four months. It was a retrospective notes review in Holland from 2006 to 2012. What were the main findings? Comparing 190 patients on methotrexate for psoriasis and 196 patients for psoriatic arthritis, psoriasis patients had more abnormal lab results, 0.14 versus 0.03 per treatment month, despite higher doses recorded in psoriatic arthritis patients. This led to 15% methotrexate withdrawal for abnormal LFTs in psoriasis patients versus only 3.6 in psoriatic arthritis patients, P less than 0.01. Drug survival was approximately 37 months in psoriatic arthritis versus 19 in psoriasis. Crucially, there was no significant difference in severe adverse effects or deaths between groups. Limitations. Is it applicable? This was only a retrospective study and with small numbers. To accurately assess adverse events rate, much higher numbers are required. Dutch dermatology methotrexate monitoring guidelines are similar to the UK. What's the take-home message? Reduced methotrexate monitoring doesn't appear to, to increase harm and seems to improve drug survival. Whilst further evidence is needed, we propose that the new methotrexate guidelines should attempt to converge with rheumatology monitoring guidelines.
Jane Perkins School. Isla Galpin, first violin. Hyan Lee, second violin. Miss Townsend, viola. Amelia Christian, cello.